Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Sheridan NBA Podcast. I am Dylan Sheridan. Um, what this podcast, I foresee it being, is you know kind of a a an opinionated, um, not not a hot take podcast, but just more of an analysis on the NBA um, game game breakdowns during the year, um, player breakdowns during the year, team breakdowns, um, you know, front office breakdowns, and then when it is, you know, the off season, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be doing more things like I'm going to be doing today where I'm just kind of giving a, a, a recap or, um, you know, a, an opinion on um, kind of what, what happened. Um, and then in, also in this one, I hope to, you know, give a little preview uh, of the upcoming season because it's, it's coming up soon. It's going to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. And um, I, I'm more, more than excited, and I know you are too. Um, like I said today, what I what I'd like to get into is, you know, sort of an off-season recap slash season preview for each each um, team in the NBA. Um, obviously, I'm not going to do all 30 teams in one podcast because we'd be here a while, and I don't want to put you to sleep. So the way I'm going to break it down is by division. Um, I'll break it down into six six divisions, so um, about five, four or five. Um, teams per podcast. Uh, today I want to start with the Pacific Division of the Western Conference, um, you know, that uh, it's going to have the Warriors, the Clippers, the Suns, the Kings, and the Lakers. A lot of these teams made a lot of big deals. Obviously, the Warriors, um, you know, had possibly the biggest offseason of all time with the acquisition of Kevin Durant. And honestly, it just, it that, that signing just, it just didn't seem real when it happened. Uh, you know, July Fourth rolled around, and it was one of those deals that really just shook shook basketball. It shook, it really shook the world almost, um, this, at least in sports. But uh, it was also one of those things where it was like, um, you know, LeBron a couple of years ago when he decided to sign with Cleveland. Um, it was like that that domino needed to fall for a lot of other deals to go down. So you know, the only the only real real big acquisition to go down uh, as far as a player moving to another team, at least a star player moving to another team, was Al Horford moving to the uh, the Boston Celtics. And, you know, I feel like the reason why was, you know, to get him to come to Boston, get KD to come there. But uh, obviously that didn't work out. But it's just it's just interesting how this whole offseason played out, played out. But um, before I get into all of that, I just I want to get into uh, just just the Warriors and kind of what they were able to do this year, and it really is it's it's unmatched in NBA history. Um, possibly the biggest off season, like I said, of all time. Uh, getting Kevin Durant is just it's just not an acquisition like this has never been done before. It's it's incredible, um, and especially going from a team that was up 3-1 in the conference finals and then was beaten by the team that he ended up going to it's just that storyline nothing like that has ever happened before in the NBA but uh I don't want to get into the whole whether it was right or wrong I want to get you know more of a a straight on okay he he's done it it's his decision because to be honest with you that is my opinion on it, um, 
although I just said I wouldn't get into it, but it's it's KD's opinion. Um, I mean, it's KD's decision on where he wants to play, and he decided to play for a team that I believe is just going to be perfect for his skill set. It's going to be perfect for um, as far as beautiful basketball goes. It's just going to be incredible to watch, and I'm really excited. They're going to be the traveling circus of this year's NBA season. But before I get into, you know, kind of breaking down their their team, I just want to get into really just all of their acquisitions, and then I'll break down, you know, how I think it's going to play out and all of that. So obviously the first domino that needed to fall for Golden State was KD signing. And uh, that whole just circus around his free agency was amazing. Uh, honestly, I think I thought he was going back to OKC. I think just about anyone thought he was going back to OKC. There were rumblings, you know, Golden State was probably second um, along with Boston, along with San Antonio. And, you know, he, he, he took a meeting with the Clippers, but I, I didn't really foresee that happening, although they tried to sell him on, you know, the Big Four concept. But I just never, ever saw that happening. But um, I, I don't know. It just I, I did not think that anything like this would happen. I, I thought it was as done a deal as could be to go back to Oklahoma City. Maybe I was just naive, but I just I just didn't see it happening. But, um, you know, he signs this, this two-year deal. It's a... Um, a one, essentially a one-year deal with an opt-out for the second year, for the max contract, and you know theoretically he could become an unrestricted free agent next summer and leave again and go wherever. But obviously, he wouldn't have made a move like this if that was the plan. Um, I think he's he's definitely he wants to be in Golden State for the foreseeable future. So. Uh, really, just the point of the one-year deals to get him up to that ten-year player experience um, in his contract. Um, you can sign a bigger max deal when you get to that ten-year bump, and uh, he he'll probably next off-season sign an incredible contract of probably upwards of uh, five years, hundred and fifty something million. So making over. 30 million dollars a year I don't have the figure right in front of me with the projected cap and the projected max contract next year but you know obviously it's just going to be a huge deal um and then I think Golden State they they had to do a lot of things to make this work obviously they had to you know get rid of Harrison Barnes um they couldn't retain him because of you know he he got the max contract in Dallas which I mean We'll get into that in a later episode, but that could just end up being a disaster, or it could play out well. You never really know. But um, also had to cut loose from Andrew Bogut. They ended up trading him for a second-round pick just basically to cut salary, which uh, I'll get to it in a minute, but I, I think that is that is a loss that um, it'll, it'll sting a little bit, especially if they were to get back to the finals. Uh, they also did a great job of picking up um, you know, kind of veteran players that I guess are ring chasers. They signed David West to a veteran's minimum contract. He was all right in um, San Antonio. He actually played some some really good games there, and I think he'll be a a really good offensive punch off the bench. They uh, they signed Zaza Pachulia to a one year three million dollar deal, which wasn't you know it it wasn't seen very well in in the NBA because. He, I mean, you got to remember last year. He was the first half of the season. He was great. 
he was a borderline all-star last year and just about made it in. Um, he fell off in the second half, of course, just because his body sort of broke down. But, you know, this isn't some scrub that they just ended up signing, and he's probably going to start in Bogut's place. I don't necessarily maybe think he's as good a fit possibly as Bogut because, you know, Bogut brought so much um, rim, prote- rim protection um, passing. He was really just a perfect fit for this Golden State team, and I think we saw that in the finals when he got hurt. But I think Zaza, you know, he'll he'll bring some. He's he's a good pickup. He's not he's not a rim protector like um, Andrew Bogut was, but um, he's definitely. I mean, you're getting him for three million dollars, especially you know when you look at some of the other center contracts that were handed out this this off season. You got you know Mozgov making four sixty four. You've got. Uh, Biombo making, you know, what was it, seventeen million dollars a year, I think, after basically playing a good um a good playoffs. But you get a center for you get any rotation player for three million dollars and that's that's just awesome. So um I think that deal is a good deal as far as the money goes, but I, I do think they're gonna miss Bogut, but you know, with the signing of Durant it's just their offense is going to be so incredible. They're going to miss the rim protection, but honestly, it's – I mean, they're just going to run teams out out of the building. It's going to be amazing. But, um, I mean, I don't think they'll miss Barnes that much, Harrison Barnes. Um, they may miss his defense a little bit. But, I mean, when you look at it, you're you're replacing Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant. So it can't be seen as much of a um, – a negative thing moving on from Barnes um and you know he's getting that max contract and I'm, I'm kind of iffy about that Barnes I think actually is a very very good player in this you know, modern NBA I don't think he's a first option on a team I don't think he's a second option on a team he's probably not even a third option on a team but um you know he can he can knock down some threes he really struggled in the finals last year but he can knock down the three, and he's proven that. And he can—he's uh, obviously an athletic freak. He—he he plays the three, but really can play some small ball four. Defends the four really well, for um, his his slender frame. He's very very strong. Uh, I think they will miss him in some lineups, but really, I mean, you've got Kevin Durant, who really, even if you look at it defensively and say you're going to miss Harrison Barnes' defense, Durant played great defensively in the Western Conference Finals. He was awesome. And if he can bring even a little bit of that, which I don't know if that's sustainable, especially with, you know, um, this this team, it, they're going to take a lot of nights off, I feel like, but they're so good when they're taking these nights off that it's not going to matter because, I mean, this team is so incredible that you've got, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Her- um, Kevin Durant, uh, Draymond Green, you know, you've got four all-stars, four possibly top 10 and at least top 15 players in the NBA. And if, you know, one of those guys is off, you're still more than likely going to win. Two of those guys are off. You're still probably going to win. Even if three of those guys are off, you are more than likely still going to win. This team is that good, and that is incredible to me that, you know, Three of your superstars could be, you know, non-factors in a game and just totally be off. But, you know, okay, if Kevin Durant's off, Kevin Durant, I mean, misses time even, you're still an incredible team. 
Um, but yeah, let's let's little move on a little bit from that. Uh, they also picked up Patrick McCaw in the draft. He looked great in the preseason. He looks, you know, like a great pickup for them, especially in a late round pick. Um, hit a game winner the other night. You know, you don't really know how much he'll see the floor this year, but I mean, as a late round pick, he looks he looks decent at least. Um, they signed a couple of other, you know, little veteran contracts to kind of fill out the roster after everything. Uh, JaVale McGee kind of signed a one-year make-good contract. We'll see if he makes it out of training camp. Um, but, you know, this this team, I just want to kind of get into that, is, it's, it's just amazing. Um, in my opinion, they, they're the most talented team that's ever, you know, laced them up. Um uh, it's I've I've never seen anything like this. There's never been so much shooting on the floor as there's going to be this year. I mean, you look at the Warriors last year and they set so many records when it comes to shooting threes, and I think they're going to blow that out of the water. And it, they're going to shoot probably from a record clip from behind the arc. And it's I mean, you could have three guys have having over 200 threes. I mean, that's that's mind blowing. That's incredible. They're taking shooting to a whole nother level, um, and their offense is going to be amazing. But still, their defense is going to be good. I mean, obviously, Steph is probably a Steph is probably a negative on the de- defensive end. Um, he's gonna, you know, last year I think he led the league in steals, or at least he was up there. But you know, that can be kind of a a not great stat. Um, you know you can you can fill in the passing lanes well but still not be a good on-ball defender even really a team defender and i don't think he's a great defender but you know you got clay thompson he can shut down the best of him you got andre iguodala he's you know there's no such thing as a lebron stopper but he's about as close as a one-on-one defender as you're going to want on lebron or you know guys like that it's it's incredible um you know kevin durant played awesome in on the defensive end, you know that he's not really known for that, but he just played great last year in the conference finals um, against these Warriors. And if he can carry, you know, at least at least in stretches where they really need his defense to really shine, if he can just show that up, then that's awesome. That's great. Um, obviously, like I said, they're they're really gonna miss um, Andrew Bogut and his rim protection, but. Like I said, you're they're gonna score so much that I just don't know if even that's gonna matter that much. And I mean, you've got Draymond Green; he's finished second in Defensive Player of the Year uh, the last two seasons. I just, I mean, they're they're still gonna defend the crap out of the ball. It's it's really it's it's an amazing assortment of talent. I don't think it's ever been done before. I don't know if it'll ever be done after, you know, the next couple of years. We'll see how it shakes out with how they retain everyone and see um, how, how they can keep their role players because I think that's going to be tough in the next couple of years. You know, Steph's going to be free agent last next year. I don't think it'll be a problem retaining him. You know, they're going to have to eat some tax money. But, um, I mean, for the next two, three years, I'd – it's hard to see this team not winning the whole thing and not being the best team in the NBA. And it's what's going to be amazing this year is it's at the beginning of the year at least it's going to be people saying, "Okay, you know, they won 73 games last year. Can they do that again?" And it's hard to say because you know, when Miami put together, you know, their quote-unquote super team, they hit some bumps. 
and you know they they lost some games, especially in the beginning of the year, and it was it was tough on them. And when you know LeBron went back to uh, Cleveland, um, you know with with Kevin Love and Kyrie, it's seen as another super team. And you know, I don't I can't remember two years ago um, what what the actual record was, but you know halfway into the year they were five hundred. So it's it's hard to just you know put put uh, a bunch of talented players together and just roll the ball out there and say, you know, win 60 games, win 70 games. But the way that Kevin Durant fits into this offensive scheme, it's it's awesome. It, it really is. He um, The way he spaces the floor, the, he can knock down threes. He's, he can play ISO if he needs to play ISO. He can, you know... It, he and I think that's part of the reason why he came here is he played in this ISO system with Russell Westbrook where he had to get his own shot every time and don't get me wrong he's incredible at that but when you can create your own shot like that but then also you can get into a system like Golden State where there are going to be shots everywhere for you where I mean you know they could they could slack off of somebody at in Oklahoma you know, you can slack off of Andre Roberson to come over here and, you know, double team or at least, you know, play up top, um, play up high on on Kevin Durant. You can't do that in Golden State because if you you slack off of Steph Curry, he's the best three-point shooter of all time. You slack off of uh, Clay Thompson, he's, you know, maybe the top two or three three-point shooters of all time. Uh, Draymond Green, can he can shoot it. Um it's literally you're going to be playing with five guys on the floor at a time who can shoot the ball. And that's just, I don't know. It's like, I, I'm sorry to beat a dead horse, but it's never been seen before. It was close to being seen the last two years. And, it, you know, it was all inspiring. But the next, after after this, it's it's taken it to a whole nother level. And it's amazing. And it's, it's just going to be so interesting to see how um, everything's going to play out. You know, they, they lost some other players, some role players. I don't think they're going to miss that much, especially with the signings of, you know, David West um, and Zaza Pachulia and all of them. You know, they lost uh, they lost Festus Azili. I don't think they're really going to miss him much, especially, you know, he, he showed some talent with them, but with his injury history, I just I don't really know how he's going to play out in Portland. You know, they gave him a, actually a pretty low low contract but um and that could actually play out well for him but you know with his health risks and you know you also got rid of uh, Leandro Barbosa he was a decent punch off the bench especially in that one finals game that was that was pretty great but you know he's he's what 33 I think he's getting up there in age you can't really rely on him to be any sort of reliable rotation player um you you might miss most Spates every once in a while you know just bringing him off the bench to uh stretch the floor uh, get you a bucket, but he's, I don't know, he's the type that, it's its like a black hole when you get the ball, it was, it was, you pass the ball to most spates, and it's going up, but uh, to get into, you know, just sort of looking at what I think this team could do, it's, it's kind of hard to say for the regular season, because you don't know how seriously they're going to take it, um, this is obviously going to be, their main goal isn't to win, you know, 82 games. Their main goal is to win uh, the title in 2017. So, you know, this team is so talented, though, that 
they're going to step into a lot of wins. They're so talented that it doesn't matter if they don't play great. They're still going to win a lot of games just based on their pure talent. And it doesn't matter if somebody has a bad game. They're they're still going to win games where two or three of their guys aren't playing great. They're they're that good. So it's hard to say, especially their benchmark last year, their 73-win season. That's, that's amazing that they were able to pull that off. But it's hard to say that they're not going to do that again. But at the same time, it's hard to say they're going to do that again. Just because 73 wins is amazing. It, it It's incredible what they were able to do last year. But you look at it, and you take it on a game-by-game basis. And unless just their entire team gets hurt, they are going to be favored in every single game. Every single game that they, they show up, unless, you know, it's game 82 or whatever, and, you know, Coach Kerr wants to rest them or whatever, they're going to be favored in every game. So it's hard. It's just hard to look at it and see them losing a lot of games. But like I said, you know, KD could have a harder time getting adjusted to this new system than you know myself and a lot of people are anticipating. He could, uh, you know, I don't know. There could be some regression. There could be some injuries. You just don't know. But it's hard to say that they're not going to win, you know, seventy games. Um, I, I could see them winning, you know, sixty-five. I could see them winning seventy-five. It they could they could be that good, and you know, you're looking into the playoffs, and I I don't see a way that they don't win. Um, I know they've got that that big roadblock in the East named LeBron James, but I just I just don't see how they they don't win. Their offense is it's it's the best offense that has ever been in the NBA so um and you can say that maybe they they've fallen off a little bit defensively um especially with the loss of Andrew Bogut who I think is you know one of the keys to to stopping LeBron James you look at um you look at I'm just basically rim protectors big guys guys who take up a lot of space LeBron hasn't played well against people like that in years past I mean you look at just Basically, finals matchups, Eastern Conference finals matchups. You look all the way back to uh, 2000. Was it? Yeah, 2011 when they lost to uh, Dallas Mavericks. You know, he had a tough time with Tyson Chandler. Um, going forward, you see him having a tough time with Roy Hibbert, uh, Tim Duncan, um, Andrew Bogut a couple years ago. You know, say what you want. Um, I I kind of died died down last year on you know the talk of them really missing Andrew Bogut, but I mean Andrew Bogut got hurt last finals and they weren't the same after that you know they they surrendered that three one lead and I think a lot of it came down to you know Draymond's stupid kick you know getting suspended for game five. There's no way if he doesn't get suspended, I I believe that Golden State doesn't come home with that. But that's that's for that's for a different show. But um, I just I don't see I don't see a way that they don't win the title. Um, it could happen, but I just I just don't see it. There, it's it's never been seen before, and I don't think it'll ever be seen again. Especially with the new CBA that's going to be coming out soon. Um, I just don't see how it's going to be possible for another collection of talent like this to come aboard. So that's that's kind of my uh, 
my uh, rundown on the Golden State Warriors. Next, we will get into the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. Next in our 2016 offseason recap slash season preview is the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, first, let's just get into you know sort of the the acquisitions they made, which really wasn't a lot. They didn't really um, shake it up too much, which is you know really to be expected with with their current situation they've got going on. They're a great team, and they're going to be a great team this year. Um, had had a lot of bad luck in the. In the, in the entire season last year, and then especially coming down um, into the playoffs with Chris Paul's injury, and you know when he went down, it was it was pretty much game over for them. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of an ongoing joke every year that they they still haven't made it to the Western Conference Finals in this with this core of Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, but um, it's really you know. I, I kind of consider myself a Lakers fan, so it's kind of a meme, a funny thing to uh, you know kind of crap on the Clippers, and it's almost funny when they they don't succeed. But really, they've just had an incredible amount of horrible luck over the past few years, and um, you know, barring injury, going into this year with the moves, you know, just small moves that they made, and then just the core that they've built here. It's it's tough to see a situation where they don't make it to the Western Conference Finals this year. In my in my opinion, the Spurs are going to be great again. I think that's the only other team in the Western Conference that's really going to even challenge um, Golden State or the Clippers here. But uh, it's it's tough to see a situation where they don't make it at least to the second round, and then you know maybe. Um, San Antonio could be, you know, really good this year and and defeat uh, the Clippers here. But uh, I just think the Clippers are, if if they still he- stay healthy, which is a huge if, um, I, I think they're a great team. But uh, let's just kind of get into the acquisitions that they made this year. Um, you know, they were kind of forced to just stay the course, with, um, you know, when they weren't going to get Kevin Durant. So they, uh, they signed... Uh, Jamal Crawford, you know, age 36, to a three-year, $42 million contract. We'll see how that plays out. Um, They really couldn't do anything else besides, you know, retain him. Uh, They're so capped out. But uh, he's 36 years old. He was was good last year. He's, you know, obviously one of the best scoring punches off the bench in the entire NBA. But, uh, you know, he's going to be making – you know, well over ten million dollars in his age thirty nine season, which it's just tough to see. It's tough to see how that contract's gonna end well. Um, they could really, you know, regret getting him that third year. But he also had all the leverage. Um, there were reports that teams like Philadelphia were, you know, getting in on, uh, getting in on him and unrestricted free agency so you you couldn't afford to lose him so he almost could write his own check there but uh also they re-signed austin rivers to a three-year 35 million dollar contract with a player option on that third year um and you know austin rivers has had a tough go of it in the nba so far especially after you know being i think he was actually the number one recruit coming out of high school over anthony davis you know went to duke and had some bright spots there um 
but then you know coming in I think he was was he 10th overall to New Orleans in um, that draft class with Anthony Davis but you know he's had a tough go of it he's almost become a you know a funny thing whenever he does something stupid or whatever but really you know he he played some big minutes for um the Clippers last year when especially when Chris Paul went down in the playoffs and he played great he played some great basketball last year especially on the defensive end and he was tough you know he had that you know famous injury and uh in the playoffs last year and you got to respect that and just the way that he played he he played tough he played great um and if he can you know do a lot more of that going forward it's hard to envision a situation where he's not worth you know 10 million dollars a year especially with all of this this money that's being handed out but uh we'll see how that goes um they also retained Luke Maamute uh, just a two-year deal and Wesley Johnson signed a three-year deal worth 17 million dollars that's pretty that's a pretty good contract there especially considering he's he's definitely at least in the conversation of being their starting three which um that's probably their weakest point of their team, but at the same time, I mean, if you can get at least a sub-starting caliber player for you know five, a little more than five million dollars a year, you got to take that. Um, they also were able to draft Bryce Johnson in uh, the draft this year. That's kind of we'll see how that plays out. You know, he's a late-round pick, so it's not like he's really seen as this incredible talent or anything but he showed some things in North Carolina last year um he's a great athlete but I just I don't really see him being anything special in this league but um they also were able to sign you know Alan Anderson to a one-year one million dollar contract nothing big uh Brandon Bass be able to sign him he's had some decent years um wasn't that great for the Lakers last year but at the same time I feel like no one was really that great for the Lakers last year, so we'll see how that goes. And they were able to sign Mo Spates, Mo Buckets, to a two-year deal worth $2.8 million. And I think that could actually be a pretty good signing. Um, he, he'll he bring scoring off the bench. You know, I said earlier in the podcast that he's kind of a, a black hole when he gets the ball, but, you know, when you've got a center that can space the floor like that, at least on the offensive end, he's he's going to open some things up for everyone, especially when you've got a great passer in the post like Blake Griffin playing next to him. I think that they were going to work really well on the offensive end. They may not be that great on the defensive end. They might they probably won't stop anyone, but on offense at least, um, I, I can see that going very well. And as far as who all they lost, they lost Jeff Green. Um, he's really a tough player to figure out. Um, but you don't really foresee him being that big of a loss for them. Cole Aldrich played some really good basketball down the stretch um, for the Clippers, and uh, he went to Minnesota, but you know you don't really see that being a huge loss for them. Pablo Prigioni, C.J. Wilcox, just two, not nothing big that they lost. But you know, let's let's kind of get into what I foresee them doing this year. And like I said earlier, I think this team's going to be really good. Um, in my opinion, probably the second best team in the West. Um, the Spurs are in that same category. I think 
you put them in the Spurs at two or three, I'm I'm fine with that either way. But really, just one of the best teams in the NBA. But I I see them making the Western Conference Finals, like I said, finally getting over that hump. But at the same time, this team is just it's so talented. But there's this juggernaut in Golden State that I just there's no way that I see them getting past them. You know, they were just absolutely destroyed by Golden State in the preseason game the other day. At the same time, it's a preseason game, so you can't really hold much merit to that. But um, Golden State just destroyed them last year when they played head-to-head. And uh, it's just tough to envision a situation where they are able to beat them, especially in a seven-game series. But uh, CP3... I mean, that's where this team starts and ends. Blake Griffin's incredible, too. But CP3 is really the heartbeat of this team. And uh, I have so much respect for Chris Paul. I believe he is criminally, maybe not underrated because he is seen as maybe the best point guard in the NBA. But I guess when you you see the entire landscape of the NBA and its players and the the history of the point guard position, he's right up there. He may not be the best player in the NBA today or anything or the best point guard of all time or anything like that, but he's in the conversation of, you know, top five for both of those things, in my opinion. He is really just a franchise-changing talent, and he is going to make everyone around him better. And uh, he's he's still – I mean, when it comes to pure point guards, I think he's the greatest in the NBA today, um, there there are other people that you know are technically a point guard, but I don't really see them in the same class as um, CP3. You can say Steph Curry's the best point guard, but I don't really see him really as a pure point. I see him almost as, I mean, I guess that's the position he would play on defense that you know him and CP3 would guard each other, uh, for example, but. You know they they're just so different, but when it comes to just being a point guard, you know that guy that's gonna be a playmaker, a passer, a uh, break defenses down, run a pick and roll. It's it's the best. He's the best in the NBA today. Um, and then you you've just got so much talent on this team because you team CP3 up with Blake Griffin, who is just an incredible passer out of the post. He's obviously an insane athlete. A great score he played great last year before you know the injury and then the whole you know Toronto situation and all of that he played great he was averaging what probably 25 a game something like that he was probably in the top five in scoring in the whole NBA and um I just I don't there when it comes to just pure talent there's not many teams in the NBA that have as much as the Clippers DeAndre Jordan is just an incredible rebounder defensive presence he can bring it on offense in the pick and roll he's you know just like an insane dive man when it comes to that pick and roll he's the best in the business at that you know getting dunks Um, if he can improve his free throw percentage you know he can take a whole nother step but you just don't know you just don't know with that um but the question for me is it's not based on this off season, it's not based on this season because you know they did what they had to do this off season. They retained their guys. Um, they're they're going to be good again. They're going to challenge you know for the two seed in the West. 
But the big question for me is not this year, it's next year. You know, with CP3 being an unrestricted free agent next year, same with uh, Blake Griffin, same with J.J. Redick, possibly one of the best shooters in the NBA. I just, I don't know. A- after this year, if if they don't make it to the Western Conference Finals or if they don't, you know, show something to Chris Paul or show something to Blake Griffin, I think, I mean, it's a possibility that those guys walk. And I think if one guy walks, you know, if one guy makes the decision to walk, it's going to influence the other one, whether that's CP3 doing it first or Blake. Um, And I just, I see this being, this year being their peak, maybe not their peak necessarily, but their last really, really, really good, you know, run at it. Um, I, we will see, but it's just it's just hard to see how they're going to do all of this because, in my opinion, you know, Reddix, he's he's playing he's played great the last couple of years. He's I think thirty two. He's you know getting up there with age, but as he's been getting older, he's been getting better. He's getting better on defense. He led the NBA in three point percentage last year. He is just a really good player. And, you know, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason, and I don't see how they retain him because he's going to – I mean, there's there's been reports that, you know, he's probably going to fetch at least $16 million, $17 million. And I see that report, and I think, okay, you look at the guys that just got $16 million, $17 million, and then you compare them to J.J. Redick, and it's not even close. Timothy Mozgov just got $16 million a season. I don't understand how you think that that's all he's going to get. I think he's going to fetch $20 million, and the Clippers can't pay that and also retain CP3 and also retain Blake Griffin. So I think some team out there, whether it's good for them or whatever, if it's good for Reddick's career or whatever, he's going to get $20 million in my opinion. I think he is. He's not going to take a discount. I don't know why he would. He's never made you know that big contract. I think he's going to get at least $20 million, whether that's, you know, to some team that just, I don't know, sees him for better than he is actually, um, you know, and they play him wrong or whatever. I'm not saying it's going to go well for that team, but I definitely see him signing a $20 million contract somewhere. And um, I just I, I, I just don't know after this season how, how it's going to go. You know, Chris Paul, he I think he is to that stratosphere where – it's almost like a LeBron stratosphere where it's he's thinking about, you know, his legacy because he's that good. He's that good to where he can focus on his legacy. Um, you know, I think LeBron focuses on his legacy a lot. He he went back to Cleveland. He wants to be seen as this guy. Okay, he went home to make things right. He wanted to go home and win a title, and he did it, and that's awesome. Um, I'm not a huge LeBron fan, but I'm that's – I mean – even the biggest hater can't can't not respect that and not say, "Wow, this this guy really did something." And I think CP3 is in that stratosphere where he he needs a title, maybe not to prove it to other people, maybe not to prove it to fans or you know the basketball world or whatever, but to prove it to himself. I think he really wants that title, and I think if he sees the writing on the wall after this season and says, "Okay, there's this." juggernaut here in um in Golden State and there's just this is this is where we are like with our current cap situation all this stuff we're not going to get any better 
this core of me, Blake Griffin, and DJ, that's this is as good as it's going to get. So I could I theoretically could see him, you know, looking at Boston with all the assets and, you know, they're they've got a favorable cap situation. They've got Al Horford, they've got all the draft assets. I could see him saying, "Okay, you know, Boston makes a pitch to them and then him signing there and then them trading for another superstar whether that's, you know, someone like a, a Jimmy Butler, a Russell Westbrook, a uh, Paul George, you know, someone in that stratosphere, and you've got then you've got a team that's going to boast a starting lineup of, I mean, you don't never really know how this is going to go, but you know, like a CP3, an Al Horford, a um, like a Jimmy Butler type, maybe even I think him and Russell Westbrook could play well together. You know, uh, they're both ball dominant guys, but I I think they could play together, and I think that CP3 could see a situation like that out there, whether that's Boston or somewhere else, and say, I've got to make a change because I need, you know, to validate this to myself, I need a championship. I can't just be a good guy who's going to make an all-star team every year because I don't want to be just seen as a guy that goes to the all-star game and is, you know, a big face and on State Farm commercials. I want to be a champion, and I don't blame him for that. I think that's awesome. I think... I think that's what he should do. And, you know, I don't really know what's going to go on next offseason, but it's just hard for me to envision them with where they are right now getting any better than what they are right now. So I th- and I think CP3 sees that too. And when it comes to Blake, I don't think he's in that same realm as CP3 when it comes to, you know, how good he is and how he's going to look at his career and all this, you know, that sort of thing. So I could see him coming back, even if you know he sees it as well as um, we may not get you know a whole lot better. But you know they'll give him his max. Um, he'll get paid. He's he seems like an L.A. guy. You know he's in the commercials. He's in. Um, I know he's been. He was on J.J. Reddick's podcast talking about you know he's gotten into stand-up comedy and you know movies and stuff like that and. I think I just think he's an LA guy, and I don't really see him leaving. I think he's got a good relationship with Doc and with uh, with DeAndre Jordan, so and I don't blame him for not leaving. But I just I'm I'm really worried about CP3 if I'm the Clippers, and I'm really worried about you know the future. You don't have any draft assets. You don't have anything based on what you have right now. So it's just hard to envision a situation where they the future the next two three years go really well for them but uh i think like i said to get into you know their 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 preview of the season i think if everybody stays healthy they'll get to at least you know high 50s wins maybe even over 60 um like i said i i think they do make it to the western conference finals this year and like i said i better they better hope they do because if they don't, I I honestly think that if the Clippers do not make the Western Conference Finals this year, CP3's gone. I think the writing's on the wall right there. But, I mean, it's just hard after this season if CP3 and Blake were to leave, especially if CP3 believes. It's hard for me as, you know, just a basketball, looking at it from the outside looking in, how they don't just blow it up. You know, if especially if both of them leave and all you've got is DeAndre Jordan, I don't see how you don't 
you don't get rid of him too, you know, get something for him before he just walks like they like CP3 and Blake would. But I think if 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 that were to happen, you just got to go into rebuild mode because you've got to salvage what you got. And I think if that happens, if you know, if Chris Paul and Blake leaves, I think they trade DJ. I think Doc resigns. I think he gets a job somewhere else, and uh, I just I think I think that's a real possibility. I I really do. Um, I I don't see it going well after the next couple of years. So not to be you know a Debbie Downer for any any Clippers people listening to this, and you may already you may already see the writing on the wall here, but I mean it's it's like I've said it. 30 times, and I apologize for repeating myself over and over again, but I just don't see a situation where this is going to go well after this season. This season's going to go great, so enjoy it. <laughs> I, I think it's going to go great this season, but after this year, I I just don't see it going well at all for the Clippers. So uh, that's, that's sort of my thoughts on the Los Angeles Clippers. Next, we're going to get into the Phoenix Suns. All right, and next in our off-season recap slash season preview, we've got the Phoenix Suns. Um, let's start off with just kind of what they did in the off-season. Their free agency acquisitions, they signed Jared Dudley for a three-year deal worth $30 million. He's he's 31 years old. Um, I'm not so sure how that's going to play out. He had a good season last year in Washington, shot a really high clip from beyond beyond the arc, especially um, from the four position. Um, but I'm not so sure if he can replicate that same um, efficiency that he had last year, and I think that's kind of what they were thinking when they gave him this three-for-30 deal. And, you know, at 31, he's going to be, you know, at his, his, his age 34 season in that last year, and I just don't know how that's going to play out. Um it's kind of been beaten over over and over again by a lot of people but in this last off season it wasn't so much with the cap going up by so much it wasn't so much the cap space you know the money in the first couple of years the the annual salary that matters that much but it's really just the years um when you get into that third and fourth year uh, that's that's a big portion of an nba player's career especially when they're at this age at 31 like dudley is so at the end of those those contracts, they could end up looking pretty bad. Um, they also were able to pick up uh, the old old Phoenix Suns Brazilian blur Leandro Barbosa uh, at a a two year eight million dollar contract. He's thirty three. Uh, there's a, a player option on that second year, so that that signing's not not too bad. It's it's essentially a one year deal. Um, and then Barbosa could choose to opt into that second year, but I don't think it'll be horrible. He'll probably come off the bench. Actually, he'll definitely come off the bench, but I don't think it's horrible value unless he just really, really falls off. I think he showed in the finals he can still play a little bit, you know, in limited minutes. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But um, the big, I think the biggest part of what the Suns were able to do this offseason wasn't really free agency, but it was it was in the draft. And I think in the draft they had – an awesome draft. Um, they were able to pick up uh, Dragon Bender with the fourth overall pick. I'm not super sold on him just yet, but you know the physical tools are there. He can shoot the ball. Um, you know, coming from overseas, you never really know with those guys. But he's had a decent, uh, decent preseason and a de- decent summer league. So we'll see there. 
but I don't think it's going to be bad, um, a bad pick. Um, then also with the eighth pick, they were able to pick pick up uh, Marcus Chris from the University of Washington, and he's looked really, really good this year. He's you know an athletic specimen, just a freak athlete out there. Uh, playing both of them, you know, playing the four. So uh, I don't think either one of them are going to make a huge impact this year, especially Bender. But I definitely both of those guys I can see being a real, at least one of them being a cornerstone of this franchise going forward. And then, uh, admittedly, I I am a Kentucky basketball fan, but my my favorite pick possibly of the entire draft was them picking Tyler Eulis in the early second round, and that is just looking like a steal. He should have been a first-round pick. You know, obviously the only big, big turnoff to a lot of NBA teams were his size. He's, I think he's listed at 5'9", but I don't think he's an inch over 5'7", probably. But he plays so much bigger than he is. He's you know, a great defensive presence out there at the point guard position. He can, he'll knock down big shots. He can really run an offense. He's shown that he's he's tough. And I think that is just a great a great signing for them, a great draft pick. And uh I think they do too because, you know, they're they're treating him like a first round pick. They gave him, you know, when it comes to the second round, it's I think is it the first year guaranteed, and then after that, it's you know it's a non-guaranteed contract. But they signed him to a real, you know, a real contract with a second-year guarantee. So basically, they're treating him like a first-round pick, and I think that shows the confidence that they have in that pick that they gave to him. And he's looked awesome in the summer league. He's looked awesome in the preseason, and I think that 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 pick could really really show. Uh, turn out to be really great for them especially with the emergence of Isaiah Thomas out in Boston it's it's showing that you know these you know these little five nine guys it doesn't they can play it doesn't matter necessarily with the size if you can play you can play um and I think that that that's gonna show in in really any any in in any player really that it doesn't really matter if you know the in the draft you don't measure out that great you, you don't have the longest wingspan you're you're short you're heavy whatever if you can play if you can put up numbers you can play and I think that they definitely see that uh, let's kind of move on to who they lost they lost uh, Mirza Toledovic to free agency you know he was a good shooter for them at the that four position but I think that's a little bit negated by um, them replacing him with Jared Dudley. They also lost John Luer. You can pretty much say the same thing there. Luer was, you know, a pretty good fit for them, but he he can kind of be replaced with Dudley shooting, and then also the the pickup of Bender and Chris to play those those four positions. He was a little bit redundant with Toledovich anyway. Uh, they they hired their interim coach Earl Watson. Uh, we'll kind of. You know, he was their interim coach after their coach last year ended up getting fired, Jeff Hornacek, but we'll see what happens there. But I think – I don't necessarily think he's necessarily the best guy for the job, but I could be wrong. Let's see there. Um, but in, in general, just kind of looking back at their offseason, I think overall it was a great offseason, basically just based on their draft. Um, I think – with picking Bender and Chris at the four and the eight picks, they're 
their lottery tickets, especially Bender, but they could really, really pay out very well for these sons. Um, I think it could be a great, a great, a great pickup, especially for where they were drafted. I think they they both could be top five talents in this draft. They I, they also a little bit have a, some bust potential, especially with Bender being picked so high. But I love the picks. I think they're great. And then also picking Ulysses in the second round. I I don't see how they were able to get value like that out of the second round. I mean, it just doesn't come around that much, especially in the first year. Like I believe Ulysses is going to play this year. But uh, just in in general, the Suns have done a great job in the draft the last few years. You know, picking Booker so late was he the thirteenth, fourteenth pick in last year's draft? Twelfth, maybe. I I can't remember exactly where. But you know, picking him in late in the lottery, and you can I guess you can't give him too much credit because you look at who who was still on the board and he was definitely the best talent on the board. But just being able to draft him where you drafted him and then seeing how great he looks. Um, last year and then this this preseason and in summer league, he looked like the best player in the entire summer league, and it wasn't close. He shouldn't have been out there. He was so great. He should not have even probably played in the summer league. He was so good, but he's looked awesome in um, uh, in the preseason too, averaging over twenty points a game. He's just looking like a future. Maybe not a superstar caliber player, but a future star. Um, he may not be the best player on a championship team, but I think he's getting in that stratosphere of, you know, being the second best player, third best player on a championship level team. Um, we'll see how that goes. And the crazy thing about him is, I, I think he's still what nineteen. 19 years old, and he's already showing this much potential. Can you imagine? Like, people don't really get into their peak their you know their best years of their career until you know about age 25 that's at least their athletic peak um ages 25 to probably 27 28 <laughs> that's in six years and he's already looking this great so that's that's incredible especially whenever you think about where he was drafted in the late lottery last year so that's just an awesome pickup last year but you know they've done some great things in the draft but then just sort of had some bad luck also the past couple of years um Eric Bledsoe's big injury last year was really the story and it really kind of sunk their season and probably got Jeff Hornacek fired last year but Bledsoe was looking awesome last year before he got hurt. He was averaging over 20 points a game and looking like maybe a top five, six point guard. Okay, maybe that's a little high, but a top ten point guard definitely in the NBA. Um, and it's just <laughs> me being a Kentucky guy, it's just so funny and interesting and really awesome to me to see this collection of talent from one college be on one team and I mean, I don't have any sort of stat in front of me, but it's kind of hard to imagine that anything like this has been done before when you look at all the Kentucky players that are on this uh, Suns team. You know, you've got Tyler Eulis, who was drafted this year. You've got Brandon Knight. You've got Eric Bledsoe. You've got Devin Booker. You've got Archie Goodwin. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just wild what they've been able to do with these Kentucky players. But, um, you know, Getting Bledsoe back is just going to be huge for them. I think uh, with Knight coming off the bench, he his talk like he wouldn't really want that, but I think that's kind of where his best role is served. You know, you've got a, probably a starting five of Bledsoe, um, Booker, either T.J. Warren or P. 
P.J. Tucker at the three, and then you throw out um, whoever you want at the four, probably Jared Dudley, and then at the five, Tyson Chandler or Alex Lynn, whoever you like better there. It's just uh, this team really has a lot of talent on it, and I, we will see going into this year how everything how everything looks, especially going forward. Um, Tyson Chandler was really, really, really bad last year, but you hope he'll be able to bounce back from that. And he didn't—he wasn't really healthy, <clears throat> excuse me, for a lot of the year. So if he can, you know, show something and just show he still has value, I think that that—I mean—they paid him last year, so he may not show his full contract value, but if he can show some value, I think it'll really help this young team. Um, you got to really hope that Alex Lynn takes another step forward. He really wasn't that great last year, but he's he's got some potential. But I think, um, you know, with Tyson Chandler's experience, um, if he can just stay healthy, stay on the floor, and just show show that he's even a shell of, you know, who he was in Dallas and, and who he's, you know, all the teams he's played for in the past, that um, he, could, he could really, you know, not just, you know, in a leadership – Role he could really really be great I think for this team, but um, I don't see them being great next year at all. I see them still as a young team with a lot of potential, a lot of good players, not a lot of great players. So it's hard to judge what they will do, especially with all the injury history that they have on this roster. So, but if everything, if everyone stays stays fairly healthy, you know, no huge injuries at all. You may maybe could talk about them sniffing the eighth seed. Maybe it's kind of hard to you know. It's kind of hard to see, especially with how bad they were last year. Even though that was mostly due to injuries, um, them sniffing the playoffs. But it's a, it's a possibility. They've got a lot of talent here. You don't really know what's going to happen. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't count on it. And um. As far as a win projection goes, I could see them maybe if everything breaks right, getting up to 45, 46 wins. If everything goes perfect and nobody gets hurt and, you know, Tyson Chandler has a bounce-back year, um, Eric Bledsoe plays like he did last year before getting hurt, Brandon Knight embraces his bench role, and, you know, he can win sixth man of the year if um, if he plays the way that hopefully he, he definitely has the potential to. Um, Devin Booker takes another step forward and really becomes a star in this league, not just you know a young guy that's really really playing well. Um, and then the rookies play well. It's hard to see them you know really making a big impact this year. But if they were to play really well, you never really know. But probably with with a realistic expectations, I can see them probably being in the thirty to thirty five wins category. So uh, we'll see, but um, I think they've done a lot of good things. They've had some bad luck over the past couple of years, but I could I could see them being a uh, possibly a playoff team, but probably not. But uh, yeah, that's that's gonna wrap up my my little son's predictions and recap. Um, next, we're going to do the recap of the Sacramento Kings. All right. And up next in our off-season recap slash season preview, we have a team that, you know, has made a lot of interesting decisions over the past few years that have not played out well for them. And uh, 
continued to make a few questionable moves this offseason. They made some decent moves as well, but again, another another troubling, um, questionable offseason to say the least. The Sacramento Kings. Uh, we'll we'll start with you know who who they were able to pick up this offseason, and it is a long a long list. They had a lot of roster turnover this year, which you know when you're a troubling team that does not win, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But um, let's let's get into who they were able to pick up, and then we'll start with one one person who I, I believe is a good pickup, and that is a new head coach. You know the firing of uh, George Carl last year, and uh, you know he was he was horrible, I believe, for for team chemistry. Um, him and Demarcus Cousins did not mesh at all. It was really just a matter of time until he was fired. You know he had the big uh, the big contract buyout that they were going to have to face. Um, if if they were to fire him, they ended up pulling the trigger and ended up signing Dave Yeager. You know, Yeager was let go last offseason by the Memphis Grizzlies due to, uh, I think it was not really necessarily a basketball thing. I think it was more of a uh, uh, a locker room personality, didn't mesh well with some of the players or the, uh, the front office and was let go. And uh, I, he he's a great coach from from everything that I've seen, and I think he's well regarded around the NBA. We'll see how he meshes with uh, Demarcus Cousins because not anyone except for pretty much Mike Malone, and you know he was canned after they had the best start that they'd had in a long time. Um, had has has really ever meshed with Demarcus Cousins, so we'll see how that goes. But you know, Jaeger's a good defensive coach, uh, maybe the best coach that they've had in the Demarcus Cousins era. Uh, you know, like I said, we're just gonna have to see how he meshes with Cousins, and his tenure here, I think, will be judged on that. We really don't know how long Cousins is gonna be here, and we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, just you know, if if they're gonna stay on this this Cousins-led path. Him and Jaeger have to get together, and they have to work out. Um, but moving on from Jaeger, let's talk about the the people that they were able to pick up as far as player personnel. Um, and we'll start here with Aaron Aflalo. Signed a two-year, $25 million deal with the team. Um, you know, looking at that, I don't think it's horrible. It's it's a two-year deal, and like I, I said earlier in the podcast, in this offseason, there's so much money out there that, you know, it, a contract's, you know, annual value isn't really what you're looking at as far as just that. I mean, you look at $12.5 million, you get a decent score, and you'd say that's worth it, but what makes the contract in itself a decent deal is that it's just worth two years. You know, you you can cut bait uh, after a couple of years, and you know he's going to be a decent scorer. He probably will start for them, which I don't love. For you know, I wouldn't want Aaron Aflalo coming off um, being a starter for me for like a playoff team or any sort of you know a top tier team or anything like that. But I'd I'd rather him come off the bench. But he's probably their best option at the two. Um, just because pretty much they don't really have anybody else to play that two position. Uh, another signing that they were able to pick up was uh, Matt Barnes. You know, he signed for two years, $12.5 million. And I think that that actually is a good signing. Uh, obviously, you know, he was with Dave Yeager last year. So that makes me think that if he was able to, you know, to come from Memphis to here following Dave Yeager, that 
he is you know on board with Jaeger. Um, I, you know Matt Barnes, he's he's seen as kind of a controversial figure because you know he'll he'll pick up the technicals, he'll get in the fights, that sort of thing. But he's also seen as a great teammate, and even though he may be a tough guy, he may be a uh, you know seen in a negative light through the media or through the fans or you know whatever he he does seem like the type that you know really meshes very well with um with his teammates and he was on JJ Reddick's podcast the other day and if you haven't listened to that you I I really would recommend it because you know JJ will he goes on and on about how great a teammate that Matt Barnes was and um, whenever they were together on the Clippers and I think a lot of other other people have echoed that sentiment and um, we, we will see how it works out because with Matt Barnes you know with a guy who's that um, how do you say uh, he could he could clash with some personalities on that team especially when you've got another personality like DeMarcus Cousins on this roster you never know how that's going to work out but I, it it honestly he could be a very a very good presence he could be a bridging presence for this team so we're just gonna have to see how that works out but I I like the signing for two years 12.5 million he's he's a good defensive player he he's shown that he can you know even take over a couple of games I, I know there was one game where he scored 30 40 points in Memphis last year and you know just it took over a fourth quarter which I mean you don't really you're not signing him for that ability but at the same time if he can bring that then that's great um a signing that I was not in love with was the Garrett Temple signing they signed him to a three-year deal worth 28 million and the reason why I just don't love the signing is because I'm just not sure he makes sense with this team um you know they they're probably going to sign him you know he's a guard sort of a combo guard but i guess they kind of signed him to be the backup one which i don't love at all you know they also picked up Ty Lawson and i'll get to him actually i'll just go ahead and talk about him they signed him to a one year 1 million dollar deal so it's a low risk signing but you know if you're expecting Ty Lawson to play big minutes at the backup one you never really know how that's going to go with his off-the-court stuff. And then last year was just a total disaster with the teams that he played for. But um, you, I, I, just, I just don't like Garrett Temple, especially in a three-year deal like that where he's going to be making close to, you know, over $9 million a year in that deal, especially going, you know, in the, in the third year. That might look pretty ugly as well. But uh, I just I'm just not sure that I don't hate Garrett Temple as a player, but I'm not sure he fits with this Kings roster. It's my problem with it. Uh, they also were were able to pick up Anthony Tolliver, and he he played very well last year for Detroit. Um, he it was his first good year in a while, so we'll see how he he goes forward. You know he's getting up there in age. I don't have his age in front of me, but probably 31, 32. Uh, so we'll have to see how he uh, he progresses in this deal. It's just a two-year deal, so it's not horrible. They're not like locked into any sort of three-year, four-year commitment. But you you don't know if that's somebody you really want to rely on at the four here. And they're somewhat thin at the four. So they, because pretty much, I'll get into it in a minute, they don't have any fours. All they have are these big fives. And they have a ton of them. And that's really going to get um, to what I'm talking about here with their, their first draft pick, the 13th overall pick. Um, they picked Papianis. Um, and I'm, I just, I don't hate the pick 
Papianis, but when you've got as many centers on this roster as you already do, um, he's just so redundant with what they're trying to do. And th- another thing with it is they picked him with the 13th overall pick, which is earlier than he should have went. He was not high, that high on anyone's draft board. They, people were, you know, expecting him to get picked in like the 20, 20s range. So picking him that high, you could trade down, get some value, get maybe an, a draft pick. Even if it's a second rounder, you could get a decent rotation player maybe to move down, you know, seven, eight spots. And then you still get your guy. I mean, he's he's worth that risk, I believe. But um, obviously they saw something in him. I don't hate them picking him, but it's just they have so many centers on their roster. Like, okay, let's see. They've got DeMarcus Cousins, um, Costa Kufus, uh, Papianis. I'll get to Scal in a minute. Willie Cauley-Stein. That's five centers right there. And I, I just don't see how any of these people are going to get minutes, at least valuable minutes. Because your best player is a center, and it just it just doesn't make sense. And none of these guys can play together. Is the thing is, if you were drafting this big guy who who could play the four, and maybe Scal would be able to do that, but I don't think it's this year. I think he's so incredibly raw that he's not going to put up big minutes at the four or the five or any position this year. Um, but Papianis can't play the four. Willie Cauley Stein probably can't play the four, but we'll see there. But I just. It just doesn't make sense to me in that regard when you've got all these players pretty much doing the same thing. And maybe, you know, they do this because they see DeMarcus Cousins as a trade candidate this year. But at the same time, you would think that they would have already pulled that off if that was their plan. But we'll see. Um, DeMarcus is an incredible player. He's probably, in my opinion, the best center in the NBA, at least definitely on offense, the way all the things that he can do. He can be a 25-12 and 12 guy, and there's, I mean, you know, there's not but maybe two or three people in the entire NBA who can do that. Um, but we'll see what happens with him. Um, anyway, on to uh, Malachi Richardson. They were able to pick him up at 22, which I think is very, very good value. That's one of the things that I think they did well, picking Malachi Richardson out of Syracuse with the um, the 22nd overall pick. Uh, I think he can contribute, maybe not particularly this year, but picking up a guard, uh, a good guard, at a pick that late, that's, that's very, very good that they were able to do that at the number 22 pick. Um, and then we'll get into uh, they were able to pick up Scal, uh, Scala BCA out of Kentucky with their late their late round pick. Um, he fell a lot later than a lot of scouts talked about. Um, you know he's a center slash forward, probably closer to a center. But um, we'll see what happens with that. But honestly, that that could honestly go either way to an extreme on both on both ends. Because you know coming into last year, whenever he was coming into Kentucky. He was regarded as right up there with Ben Simmons with a number one overall pick. Uh, he he looked great out of high school. They were excited for him for at Kentucky, and he was awful. I like I said, I'm I am a Kentucky fan. I'll admit it. He was horrible. He he couldn't get on the floor in college. He didn't. He came off the bench in college, and it's just it's so hard to see. You know this guy who's supposed to be a one-and-done player coming out of college, supposed to be the first overall pick, and then he underperforms. It wasn't just for 
a couple of games, anything like that, for the entire season, he struggled. And I think his only real skill that he showed was maybe a mid-range jumper, um, which you know he can he can improve on that. But when there were so many things that were advertised coming into college, and that's what you got. I mean, there's a reason he fell to 28 or 29. I, I don't have the number in front of me exactly where he's picked, and I apologize for that. But first off, at the same time, the reason why he was seen as a potential number one overall candidate is because the length that he has and the skills that he does possess. But at the same time, it's just I he hasn't really shown those, and I, I don't know if he will. But they are there. They are there. He's got that. He's got things that you can't teach. He's got the size. He's got you know, the skill set, the the shooting, the all of that that make you look at him and say, wow, this this kid could be pretty good. But until he shows that, you just don't really know with him. And another thing with with that, and I talked about it earlier, is he's just another cog in this giant log jam that they've got at the center position. That just really really doesn't make sense. I don't know what they're gonna do about that. But uh, you look at the people that they, that they lost. They lost Rajon Rondo. Um, Rondo's kind of a hard player to judge. Um, he's an extremely high usage player. He led the league in assists last year, but I think those can be a little deceiving with um, as far as how valuable those assists really were because you look at Rondo play these days, and it's a lot of you know Rondo dribbling, 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 driving, driving, dribbling, and then at the last second passing out for a shot and that's where I think a lot of his assists came from so he's gonna put up the high assist numbers but it's just really not an efficient game um, they they also were able to trade Marco Bellinelli who they signed that deal that didn't look horrible because you know they wanted some shooting and stuff at the time but he was just horrible last year and they were able to trade him for a first round pick um, which which is just an awesome return, but on the other side, I, I believe they traded it to the Hornets, which is just a horrible um, move by them. I don't know why they would do that. And then possibly the worst move, maybe of the entire, I don't want to say the worst move of the entire NBA offseason, but maybe the most inexplicable move, which it's not inexplicable. I apologize for saying it that way because I believe he did not want to be there, so... That's why they did this. But the fact that they did not bring Seth Curry back. Seth Curry, he didn't start a ton for them. He started down the stretch. I mean, at at the end of the season for them. He was he was really good though. <laughs> like you look at the numbers, um, and he he was great at the end of the season. And he uh he he ended up signing for da- at in Dallas for what two years six million. So that's nothing in this new NBA economy. And he was he brings shooting which they could use. I mean, their best shooter on this team is who? Uh, I don't. Aaron Flalo in the starting lineup. Uh, Darren Collison's not that great of a shooter. Rudy Gay isn't much of a shooter. Um, I I don't I just makes no sense in a basketball sense. It does make sense in a personal sense because I think there were some reports that came out that Curry really didn't want to be there. Which who can really blame him with the way that this organization has been run the last few years? But it's really this whole off season, that that move kind of, I guess, personifies what this whole off season was. It's just bewildering. I mean, they did do a, a few good things. You know, the Dave Yeager signing was good. Malachi Richardson was a good signing. 
or in the draft. Um, I think letting letting Rondo walk, not getting tied up in any sort of money there, was a good signing. Um, Ty Lawson was a decent signing or a low risk signing. I won't say decent because you never know what could turn out, especially with the reports that. You know, he may have uh, missed a team a team flight, and he's kind of been thrown under the bus for that. Uh, Matt Barnes, I think, was a decent signing. But, I mean, some of the things that they did just make zero sense. And I, I just think that this is a poorly run franchise. And it's kind of sad because, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is 25, and maybe they'll trade him this year. I, I honestly hope they do, but... He he is really a a incredible talent. He um, is the best scoring big man as far as you know the pure center position that we've seen in a long time. I think um, the things that he can do physically that other people can't do. I mean, what was it? It was two or three games in a row. He scored, you know, he scored fifty one game, forty the next. And I mean, in this in this league that has gone to it's a little man's game as opposed to what it was like in in the past, you know, with, with Shaq and uh, the big men, Tim Duncan, you know, people posting up. Like, the game has changed, and that's not a bad thing. I think it's a good thing, actually. I think it's much more beautiful basketball. But um, just the way that he's changed, the way that DeMarcus has been able to kind of hold on to that, that big man's game and still be effective – um, it's sad that he's wasting away in a franchise that really I don't think has been able to value his talent the way that it should be. And I, I really I really do hope that he does get traded this season just because I want him to play for a contender. I think he deserves it. He's painted in the media sometimes as not the best guy, but I believe DeMarcus is a good guy. You look at his charity work, um, and just he's an amazing player, and I just hate for his career to be wasted here in Sacramento. But uh, instead of continuing to just trash it, this franchise, let's let's continue just to go on with uh, what the season could look like. Um, you know, I, I like I said, I don't like a lot of the things that they did um, this off season. But with that being said, some of the things they did do makes you think, okay. Um, this could be a franchise that's looking up. Um, you know, the Dave Yeager signing. I think he could he could really be good for this team. He could you know straighten some people out. He could uh, be good as far as team chemistry goes. He could also you know go really wrong. But who knows? But um, it's I don't know. It's it's just a really difficult situation to manage. I believe. But as far as what you do going forward, honestly, what I believe you should do is Rudy Gay has already said that he's not going to re-sign with the team after the the season, and I don't blame him. I wouldn't blame the Kings for not wanting him. So I think you try to get what you can get for him either before the season starts or at the trade deadline. Um, I think the closer you get to the trade deadline, the less you're going to get, so I think the sooner the better. You, you, you kind of want to move on from him. But at the same time, what team is going to give up a lot of assets for Rudy Gay? Because it's, it's I don't know, it's like the Rudy Gay effect is what people call it. But it seems like every time he moves on from a team, that team gets a lot better. So I don't know why you would trade for a guy like that. But um, I, I believe if, if I'm the Kings, if I'm the GM of the Kings, 
um, and just all the turmoil that has gone on here the past few years, I just blow it up and just start over. I, I would trade Rudy Gay to start out with. I would trade Boogie Cousins, um, trade maybe even Darren Collison. I don't, you know, get rid of get rid of all all of your older assets and just start over. And you know, maybe you take Papianis, um if he if he's looking good, you know, maybe make him a cornerstone in your franchise. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Scal uh really shows some things and maybe not even in the first year, but in years three, four looks good. Um and I th- I mean you've got some talent on this team. Willie Colley Stein is I think a lot better than um, he he's been able to show the past couple of years because of George Carl's system of not really letting him do what um, he he's really capable of doing. Um, I, I think they do have some talent on this team, young talent. Besides, you know, outside of Demarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay, but it's very clear that this core that they have right now is not going to have any sort of real basketball success. And in my opinion, when you can look at a team and say, you know, they're they're not gonna be good, they're not good, and they're not gonna be good, not any sort of good. They're not gonna really sniff past maybe the first round of the playoffs. Then I think at that point you've just got to blow it up. Um, it's maybe not the best. Your fans won't love it that you're blowing it up, but. Uh, I would rather, you know, your fans suffer for a year or two and then, you know, you have something good-looking on the court and something to put fans' seats, fans' butts in the seats than, you know, just be not not even mediocre, less than mediocre for years and years. So uh, we'll see what they do. But uh, as far as a season prediction with wins and a potential playoff berth, it's kind of hard to see. Um, if if they were to if if they blow it up, I think that they have the potential to be the worst team in the NBA, um, at least in the West. Uh, but it, it's honestly kind of hard to say with this team. If they keep everybody, um, they could I th- they could even challenge for the eight seed. I don't think I think they're talented enough to maybe make a run if everybody stays healthy and everything goes well to do that but like that like I'm saying that's their ceiling for this season and really for the foreseeable future with this core um I but also at the same time I think the eight seed is their ceiling for this year but their floor is also just really really bad it, it could they could even if they don't blow it up they could win 20 games and that's sad to see because I think DeMarcus like I said is an incredible talent and I really wish he he could play for a franchise that really values him and puts pieces around him that because I think he's a cornerstone. He's if he's not a, a number one option on a championship team, he's a number two option on a championship team. And I would love for him to go to a team that could be able to put that around him. So uh, I, I know I crapped on the Kings quite a bit in this, and uh, I I didn't mean to do that, um, but. It's it's just some of the things that they have done the past you know two or three years has just really not made sense and uh, it's it's just really unfortunate but uh, you know move, moving on from that next up we are going to talk about my my personal my my team my my favorite team the Los Angeles Lakers um, we'll we'll talk about what they were able to do this off season and what they're going to do um, this season in my opinion so yeah. 
the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, let's talk about what they were able to do this offseason and what they're going to do this next season. Uh, first, let's talk about who they were able to pick up in this offseason, starting off with a brand-new coach, Luke Walton. Uh, Luke Walton, I think, is a great signing for this young team. He's a young head coach. Um, he's going to be coming over from the Golden State Warriors, where he had a lot of success last year filling in as an interim head coach for Steve Kerr while he had uh, all of his problems. Um, coached them to an incredible record. Did, I, did he? I, I think he did lose while he was a coach, the coach for them. But you know, it wasn't b but more than one or two games. But uh, you know, he he's bringing a winning culture in Golden State here to Los Angeles. He's going to be probably doing a lot of things that made Golden State successful as far as spacing and shooting and you know. Uh, bringing bringing a lot of what Coach Kerr was able to do with his his um, his core players over there, and you know, bring it over here to Los Angeles, which I think is is a great thing um, for this team. Obviously, they don't have the personnel that Golden State does, or the shooting, or anything like that. But uh, I think the principles that he's going to be able to bring here, especially compared to, uh, I'll get into it in a minute. Uh, Byron Scott's regime as head coach, which was really a, a huge a joke, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, he's just a totally just a polar opposite of Byron Scott, and uh, we'll we'll get into actual some player personnel signings here. Um, one of their big signings that they were able to make was just re-signing uh, Jordan Clarkson, signed him to a four-year $50 million deal, um, which, you know, Clarkson has looked good so far in his career. He was a first-team all-rookie a couple of years ago, had a good year last year, scored over 15 points per game in that Lakers system. Um, only thing I didn't really love about it was with his unique his unique contract structure, um, because he was a second-round pick, he was actually under the arena's rule, which could have afforded him the option of you know another team making a restricted free agency offer to him and the Lakers matching it, allowing them to um, uh, you know kind of eat some some of the cap space for this year and I believe the last year, but the years in the middle, he actually is taking a big dive in the middle of those years and. Uh, that way, you know, you're preserving some of your cap space for 17 and 18 and able to do a little bit more with that, you know, with all the free agents that are going to be out there for, the, um, you know, to help rebuild this Lakers uh, team. But, you know, they went ahead and gave him just the full four-year $50 million on just a normal contract, which uh, I don't think is bad, maybe not as good as it could have been with the whole arena structure. But um, you get a good player for, you know, what twelve and a half million a year, um, a good young player for twelve and a half million a year, and you've got him locked there for four years, uh, and I think you know that'll take him to what year twenty seven, I think maybe twenty twenty six. Um, so I think that that one will actually pay off pretty well for the Lakers. Uh, they also re-signed Tarek Black to a two year twelve million dollars. It's it's okay. He's he's you know he's an effort player. He's gonna uh, you know. Pull, pull. He's a center that's going to pull up uh, a lot of dunks, a lot of rebounds. Um, 
He's a good athlete, but he's not going to space the floor or anything like that. He's not going to bring a whole lot of offense, really not even a whole lot of defense. He's he's a good defensive player, but not a great defensive player. But for $6 million, you get what you get. Um, who they were actually able to acquire, though, was um, – <laughs> questionable to say the least you know on the first couple of hours of free agency on july 1st the first big deal that they were able to pull off and uh i'll I'll get into my emotions in just a second of when this deal was signed was timothy timothy mozgov signed him to a four-year 64 million dollar contract that's around you know 16 million dollars a year annually and uh at first when i saw the signing i was like all right, you know, Timothy Mozgov, he he didn't play much last year, wasn't really in the Cavs rotation when it came down to crunch time. But, you know, that was mostly due to injury, you know, had some trouble rehabbing the knee last year. Um, But before that was a really good player on a really good team. Um, He was great in Denver, and they they – Cleveland, in order to get him, which they felt like he was the missing piece to their their team a couple of years ago, I think they sent two two first round picks to uh, to um, Denver for that, and you know he was really great for them, especially in the finals. He was a rim protector. He's a great defensive player. You know he could finish a pick and roll. Uh, he he played really really well for them, but it's just you know he's he's 29 years old now. He's coming off of that knee surgery. Uh, before last year came back maybe too early the rehab didn't go right Um, possibly messed him up Um, it's just giving 16 million dollars to a guy who you know who's going to protect the rim play great defense I don't think that's a bad thing Uh, especially you know somebody who's established or something like that like if you were if you were gave that four year 64 million dollar deal to Bismack Biombo I think you know that's that's okay he's he, Bismack Biombo is never going to be great but you know he's what 23 years old that's going to take him to his year 27 season he's uh, a good a good rim protector he's a freak athlete he has shown that he can pretty much stay healthy He's not coming out off of a major injury or anything like that. But I think giving it to Timothy Mozgov, who giving him a four-year deal for this is just going to look, at the end of this contract, it's just going to look horrendous. It's going to look horrible. You know, paying him $16 million at year year 33 for him is just going to look really, really bad. And the reason why it makes me sad and it makes me upset that – they did this is not because I don't think Timothy Mozgov can maybe be an impact player this year he may be able to do some things this year is because you look at this Lakers team and they're not ready to compete yet they're not ready to win a title they're not ready to compete in the playoffs anything like that and this also you know they were able to sign Luol Deng and this his signing kind of goes along with it as well is what my problem with it is is you are giving up so much money you know, $16, $18 million over four years, you are you are just throwing throwing your cap space in future years when there's going to be free agents out there to these players that aren't huge difference makers. And that's what really bothers me about this is that, you know, 
I don't know if anyone would come to the Lakers next year. I guess it sort of depends on what they're able to do this year and, you know, how D'Angelo looks and how their young core looks, if Randall can improve, if Ingram looks like he's a future star in this league, you know, whatever. But what bothers me about that is you're pretty much punting on your 2017 cap space, you're punting on your 2018 cap space, and... It, it doesn't look like that you're going to be a player in free agency until 2019, which, I mean, there's a chance that your young core could be really good by then, but if your young core is good by then, then you still are going to need a, an established veteran to be a real competitor in this NBA landscape. And that's what bothers me about these four-year big deals that the Lakers gave out is you're this young team that... It's, it just doesn't make sense to just punt on your future like that. And that's what really just makes me really mad about this deal. And, you know, who knows? He Timothy Mozgov could have a bounce-back year and be really good this year, and that's great. And I would love if that happened, and the same goes for Luol Deng, who I haven't gotten into. But you're paying him into his 30s is what bothers me, and you're punting on bringing in future assets for this this young team that's it's hopefully their young core is going to look good in two or three years but you can't surround them with any actual NBA talent great players because you punted on those because you gave this money to Timothy Mozgov and that's what bothers me about it, it I don't hate Timothy Mozgov as a player I think he's showed a lot of um, great years in in Denver and in Cleveland and I think he's been a good player but I think his best days are definitely behind him I mean you don't really see him being better than he was his last year in Denver or his first year in Cleveland or anything like that so that's the problem I have with it and I'm sorry that I went off on this rant but it's it's you are just crippling your franchise by giving out deals like this like I mean to steal a little bit from Nate Duncan and the um, Dunked On podcast, if you gave Timothy Mozgov a one or a two year deal for even more money annually, you know, he's making $16 million. If you gave him two years, $40 million, you know, pay him $20 million this year, $20 million the next, whatever, or even a one year deal worth $22, 23000000 million. That's okay, because what are you going to do with that space this year? You know, they took on Jose Calderon, his, what, 7 or $8 million contract. He was just a salary dump. You give that to Timothy Mozgov, maybe, on a shorter deal, or Luol Deng on a one-year, even like a max deal for Deng, you know, whatever. Then you are you are bringing in these people that are going to show your young core, you know, what it means to be an NBA professional and what it means to be a a solid NBA player. But you're not also you're not punting on your future cap space. You're not punting on your future, and that's what bothers me about this. Is like I've said a couple of times already on this podcast that. In this offseason, with all the money that was handed out, it wasn't the annual salary that is the problem with a lot of these deals. It's the future and the number of years on a contract. And that's, again, what just drives me absolutely nuts about this contract and the Luol Deng contract. The Luol Deng contract 
could be worse, could be better. It's a four-year, $72 million deal, so a little more than Mozgov, but I believe he's a better player than Mozgov, and I think he's a good locker room presence for these young guys. But he's not going to be anybody that's just going to totally, you know, change the franchise or anything like that. He's a good player. He'll be good for the young core, but it's coming at a huge cost. I'm sorry that I went off on that rant. Um, hopefully I didn't sound stupid, but that's really – that's – Moves like that are one of the reasons why I wanted to make this podcast, to get my opinion on stuff like this out, and that's just something that I felt really strong about. So I apologize for going off on that little rant, but uh, let's get into you know some more people they were able to pick up. They they took on Jose Calderon for the next year um, in that trade with the Bulls. They were able to get a second-round pick out of it. Um, it. He came over really just in a salary dump um, in order to make space to sign you know, D. Wade and, and uh, uh, Rajon Rondo. Um, he he will – I think he will be decent this year. He'll give a little depth to the point guard position, maybe add a little bit of shooting. He's a great free throw shooter. He's a good passer. Um, but you don't – I mean, you don't really want him playing big minutes or anything like that. He's horrible on the defensive end. They signed uh, Yi Jianlin um, from over in China. That – contract doesn't really make a lot of sense to me it's looking like it's probably going to be a one-year deal maybe with a second year unguaranteed so it I don't think it's I don't think he's going to hurt anything but uh, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense but I don't really know why they brought him in but you know maybe he could he could play some decent backup four slash five minutes um, we'll see with that Let's get into uh, the rookies they were able to bring in, though. Um, Brandon Ingram, uh, the second overall pick out of Duke. Uh, Ingram looks – he's looked good in some aspects so far and not so good in some aspects. Uh, he, You know, he's often compared to Kevin Durant, which I think is a ridiculous comparison, and it's not fair to him. It's not fair to KD. It's not really fair to anyone because Katie is such an incredible talent that, you know, comparing this little skinny guy to him based on pretty much the fact that he's skinny is and can shoot it is a little silly to me. But um, Ingram, he is a promising player, do not get me wrong. He, uh, he, he was a good shooter in college. He's a good scorer in college. I think he'll be a good scorer in the NBA. Um, I think he's at least going to be a rotation player in this league. Um, obviously, you don't want to draft a rotation player with the second overall pick, and I think he's got a lot more upside than a uh, rotation player. He could be a star in this league, um, but we, we'll see how he progresses in the NBA. I, I really hope that he pans out really well, um, but like I said, we'll see. He's shown um, he hasn't been great on the offensive uh, side of the ball just just yet um, but I will say he has surprised me a little bit on the defensive end because he wasn't drafted necessarily for his defense but you know he's he's very long he's I think he's listed at 6'9 or 6'10 but very very long arms he's been able to block a lot of shots um, really disrupt the passing lanes as far as the preseason and uh, the summer league is gone but uh, I think his game will get adjusted to the NBA. I think he'll be fine. Um, he may not be great this year. He may, you know, he, you know I don't think he's gonna, really going to challenge for Rookie of the Year. But he could. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure. But, you know, he could. He could have a really breakout year. 
But he also, I could see him being one of those guys where, you know, he is a good player. He may be even an all-star. But um, it takes him a couple years to really get adjusted to the NBA game. Uh, also, with their second round pick, they were able to bring in Ivica Zubac. Uh, Zubac was really kind of valued as a first-round talent, but uh, fell to the Lakers in the second round with their early pick. Um, and he's looked so far, especially in the summer league, very, very good, especially in the second round. Um, he'll probably spend a lot of the season this year in the D-League, but um, getting a little, any sort of value in the second round, just getting a rotation player in the second round is really a big thing. So uh, we'll see how he fares this year. But going forward, he does, he has, he has some skills. He's a good defensive player, I think. Um, he's been able to uh, uh, work on a hook shot. He's he's looked good so far. So we'll see how that goes, but uh, I think that's a very good pick, especially in uh, the second round. And I think the Lakers, for all the things that they have really screwed up and done really, really poorly in this the last two or three years, one thing that they have been able to do very well is draft um, draft well late in the first round and you know early in the second round. Jordan Clarkson was a second-round pick, and he's looking like – Maybe not necessarily an NBA star, but maybe like an NBA great sixth man. Um, uh, they were able to pick up Larry Nance Jr. You know, last year in the draft with their really late round, first round pick, um, and he's looked great. I think he's going to challenge to maybe even start. Um, he's he's looking the part of maybe maybe not as good as Julius Randle. He doesn't have the physical tools necessarily as Julius Randle, but he's looked very very good. And uh, he, he's definitely an NBA player. And getting value like that out of the late first round is awesome. Um, then you look at uh, the Lakers, who they lost. And it's kind of funny because you look at when, when a team loses players, you look at it as it's kind of a negative thing. But for the Lakers, I honestly think their two biggest losses were huge, insanely big positives for them. Uh, first off, the departure and the retirement of Kobe Bryant. Uh, I am about as big as a Kobe guy as you're going to find. I, he's my favorite player of all time. But last year, you know, it, it's almost unfathomable how big of a negative that he was for them last year. Um, you know, he had one of the highest usage rates of any NBA player, but was probably the least efficient. And, and you know, it's okay. They were able to keep their their – first round pick and able to pick up Brandon Ingram so uh, not everything was horrible about that but you know his his last year was was really really pretty bad and then the other one is like I mentioned earlier in the podcast the firing of Byron Scott and as a Lakers fan just let me say thank God that he was fired because Byron Scott is last year was without a doubt the worst coach in the NBA and maybe one of the worst coaches in NBA history. He was horrible for this young core. There's really no reason why he was our coach, especially with young guys. He he was basically coaching a bunch of rookies and young guys and was a coach that didn't want to play rookies and young guys, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And, uh, you know, he was also an old-school ISO guy. That's one reason why Kobe would, you know, shoot 25 shots a game and make, you know, seven of them. Uh, he's a 
he he's like the anti-warriors basically he doesn't space the floor he's an iso guy he probably likes you know more players like Lou Williams on the offensive end that's just gonna you know iso you you know shoot a jumper a mid-range uh, all that posting up you know they had Roy Hibbert who was really pretty bad um, they also lost Brandon Bass uh, they didn't really miss him though so uh, after looking at their um, their departures let's just sort of get into what this season is going to look like and obviously when you look at the Lakers what you have to look at more than anything is just their young core and that young core I think really is based around number one I think the best player out of um, all of their young core is definitely D'Angelo Russell he's looking great so far um, and then of course Brandon Ingram uh, Julius Randle Larry Nance Jordan Clarkson um, and then we'll see you know kind of who all goes along with that but that's what I think if you're if you're watching the Lakers that's what you want to pay attention to is just the development of these young players and I think D'Angelo Russell is where it starts and finishes because he is the one guy that maybe Ingram as well but I think D'Angelo Russell is the one guy on this team that you can look at him and say this guy could be an all-star he could be a superstar and you know he's he's got it he's a great shooter he's a great passer and has incredible vision great size for the point guard position he's 6'5 with a 6'9 wingspan and he is he really I think was he played well down the stretch in in spurts but with Byron Scott being his coach really was just the worst thing that could have happened for his rookie year and uh I think it's difficult to say he would have won rookie of the year or anything like that if uh, he was, you know, with a better coach or whatever because of just how incredibly talented Carl Anthony Towns is. But I think you put him on any other team, pretty much any other team with a, a coach that can realize what his roster is and, you know, play to the strengths of that and really play to the you know what the what the organization needs him to do which is play these young guys and you know encourage them and develop them instead of you know throwing old guys to do iso out there um i think he's second in rookie of the year last year and, and i don't have it in front of me but i he like in that horrible system where you know he, i think he probably averaged 13 points a game maybe uh two or three assists something like that uh you know, you put him in a decent system where he's allowed to, you know, make some mistakes without getting pulled out right afterwards, you know, to space the floor, um, run an offense, you know, that sort of thing. You could be looking at just last year in his rookie year, you know, maybe 17 points a game, maybe four or five assists. And then you, you come out of this and you're like, wow, this we've got a player. But I honestly think he, he could be – a candidate for, and this could be a Laker home, you know, Homer, um, enemy coming out. But I think he's a candidate to score twenty points a game, maybe this year, take a step in passing, maybe go up to from one or two assists to you know five, six assists. Um, if he's given the leash that I think he is going to be able to, you know, be given, and if he can play to his potential, I think that he can be, you know, great and. They caught a lot of flack that night for picking um, D'Angelo Russell instead of uh, Jaleel Okafor. But, you know, looking back on that, I don't think that anyone in this Lakers organization or any fan that really pays attention 
would ever think that they made the wrong decision there. And I think he is really he is where this franchise needs to be built around and I think that they are actually finally starting to realize that. Um when you look at the rest of their team, how it's going to look this year, I think if Clarkson can, you know, take another step forward this year, you know, shoot the three consistently, he could be great. Um looks like they could be bringing him off the bench, so we'll see how that goes, but I think that could, you know, be a really good role for him. Um and then, you know, looking at Mozgov and Dang, um, you know, I went in that rant earlier, I hate their contracts, but I think that they could actually have some value this year for the Lakers. Um, we'll obviously see, but I think Mozgov, if he can stay healthy, could be a good defensive player, a good, you know, he's a massive person. Um, he, he'll clog some lanes, he'll, you know, alter shots, you know, all of that. And then Dang, you know, he's a decent shooter, not a great shooter. He's a good defender. Um, he can do a lot of things, you know, play the, his main position is probably the three, but uh, he played really well at the four last year. I don't know how much he'll be able to do that here. Hopefully he'll be able to do it a lot. But um, also with with Brandon Ingram, I'm I'm not totally sold on him just yet. I And I know a lot of people in Lakerland are, but um, I think if he comes out and he, he plays well, and he challenges maybe to be in the starting lineup. I don't think he'll start right away, but um, if he he comes in and really just takes you know a step forward and looks like a an NBA player right off the bat, I think that's huge for this franchise. And um, you know, is if he can just flash his potential, then you're happy. You know, going into year two for him, and then maybe in that year two range, he can really make a big jump to becoming a great NBA player. Um, Randall, I I like Randall as a player. He he does some things that make him inefficient. You know, he doesn't have a right hand at all. He uh, really is just uh, he can get tunnel vision when he's driving. He he's but the things he does do well is he's just incredibly strong. He's a gifted passer. He can you know bring the ball up the floor. He's a good ball handler. But if he can't work on that jump shot and if he can't develop that, then it really really just makes him not a, a great NBA player. But those are things I think he can work on. He'll also need to work on his defense a lot. But we'll see where that goes. But I think. He's got the skills to be an NBA player as far as, you know, the physical tools and some of the things he does well, he does really well. But he does need to nail out some of those things. And But when I say that, you have to look at it also as last year, although it was technically his second year, he played eight minutes his first year. Eight minutes total because of, you know, breaking his leg. So last year was essentially his rookie season. So this is basically year two for him. So if he can take a big step forward and, you know, kind of work on those things that he needs to work on, and if he looks like a better player this year, then that will be huge for the Lakers. Um, uh, Larry Nance, um, I think he's also a great player. And I, I think that if Randall comes out this year and, he, you know, he does the things that he did last year and, you know, doesn't show signs of improvement, I think Nance, if he, if he continues to get better, maybe works on a three-point shot, gets a better, uh, you know, just shooting range, plays better defense, um, I think he's got a shot to be able to, to even supplant Russell maybe in the starting lineup or, um, uh, I don't know, play more minutes than him because you, 
in a lot of in a lot of ways last year when the Lakers were playing, they were better with Nance on the floor as compared to Randall. So we will see how that goes, but I just think Randall is so talented that it's hard to see, you know, Nance probably not as talented as Randall being able to supplant him, but we'll see, we'll see. But um, a good thing about this Lakers core, though, is is that they literally have no pressure. And that's weird to be in L.A. and not, you know, have the pressure to win. But they don't have any pressure. Nobody expects the Lakers to be good this year. Uh, if you're looking, you know, at the Staples Center, the pressure is on the Los Angeles Clippers. The Lakers, everybody knows they're not going to be good this year. All, all that they have to basically focus on as players, especially the young core, is just getting better, taking a step forward, learning, you know, I don't do this well, I need to work on this, I need to work on my jump shot, I need to work on, um, you know, my defense. Clarkson said he'd never really worked on defense before, so that, that's what he said going into this offseason he was going to be a lot better at. And, you know, if he took that seriously, which, you know, he posted a lot of things. Of course, this is the player posting this on his social media, so you can't really necessarily take it, uh, you know, take it for what it's worth. But, you know, if if he really does come in here and he shows that he is an NBA caliber defender, then that's awesome. That's great. And maybe he'll be able to do that, and I hope he does. Um, but like I said, we'll see. There's no pressure on them. All they really need to focus on this year is getting better. Just get better. That's all that really matters. So um, we'll we'll see what happens. Um, I think they're they're kind of ceiling as far as wins go. They could mess around. You know, everything goes right. Uh, everybody takes a step forward. Um, everybody plays well. You know, Coach Luke Walton just looks you know, like the savior of the Lakers franchise comes in and they could win as high as 35, 40 wins. Probably not going to even sniff, you know, um, competing for that eight seed. But also at the same time, you know, Mozgov could get hurt. Um, You know, other people could get hurt. You know, D'Angelo doesn't take the step forward that a lot of people think he will. Clarkson takes a step back instead of forward. Uh, Randall doesn't, you know, improve. Uh, uh, Luol Deng takes a huge step back in his year 31 season uh, so like I said we'll see it, it's really worrisome uh, with some of the contracts they gave out but at the same time uh, they I think the Lakers are building something here it just depends on you know how they manage it how the players how serious they are about being NBA you know stars as opposed to just making it on a roster so um, yeah, that's I believe gonna wrap up our our NBA 2016 summer recap slash 16-17 season previews. I appreciate you listening to this extremely long podcast. Uh, we're almost at two hours here. I'm I don't foresee any of my other podcasts being this long. I apologize. I'm new to this. I promise I won't be so long winded on the next one. So, uh, yeah, um, I hope you all have a great day, and uh, give me a a listen, a subscribe, an iTunes rating, if you will, Um, hopefully a five-star. But, yeah, follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is DylanSheridan1, D-Y-L-A-N-S-H-E-R-I-D-A-N-1. So, yeah, uh, see you guys next time.